All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today's episode is a weekly wrap up where I wrap you up on the latest week of Falcons news, as well as a Friday mailbag where I will be answering your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalcFans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is a weekly wrap up where I catch you guys up on what was a relatively quiet week of Falcons news. We didn't have a big story that basically got five days worth of, of content here. And we'll talk a little bit about what Arthur Smith had to say on Wednesday in his press conference to the media, or really what Arthur Smith didn't say in his press conference on Wednesday. And we'll also answer your listener questions. We have a bunch of great questions. We talk about, you know, what offensive line position is a bigger concern right now, left guard or center, you know, some position groups that might surprise or disappoint us this season, which are the best three uniforms of all time in NFL history, in my opinion. And we'll spend a bulk of today's episode talking about how good this 2021 Falcons offense can be in looking at a point of comparison, which is the 2012 Falcons offense versus the 2015 Falcons offense. But uh, before we get into that, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson podcast, one of the daily national podcasts covering the NFL on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you get insight from NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson on every team, every move, and every game. And if you listened to Thursday's episode, you might have heard a familiar voice in Aaron Freeman, uh, you know, the host of Locked On Falcons, that illustrious podcast. So definitely check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast to get more Aaron Freeman related content. Yes, I'm going to continue to use the third person on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So with that being said, let's jump into our weekly wrap up. And it was a relatively quiet week because essentially we're just waiting until Julio Jones gets traded is basically the, the big non story, I guess that is the story this week. Uh, so without that happening, uh, we, the only real thing, at least that jumped out to me other than sort of the back and forth on, you know, what are the Falcons going to get and all that sort of thing, which to me gets very tiresome trying to keep up with all that stuff. But it was basically Arthur Smith's press conference that he had on Wednesday and he didn't really say much in it. You know, he was asked if he expects Julio Jones to show up for mandatory minicab and he kind of deflected that basically saying, you know, I have conversations with all the players and we'll find out. Um, you know, I, I don't expect, I don't think anybody expects Julio Jones to show up for mandatory minicamp that kicks off, I believe, on Tuesday, June 8th, next week. Uh, and I'm not even sure the Falcons want Julio Jones to show up to that mandatory minicamp just because of the uh, firestorm it will create from a media standpoint. 
But other than that, didn't really glean a whole lot from Arthur Smith in that presser. You know, he's, he's a master at coach speak. He was asked specifically about players like Matt Hennessy and his communication skills, Marlon Davidson's progress and Deion Jones's leadership. And basically he pulled the coach speak and saying something without really saying anything, you know, with all three, he was basically like, we like what we've seen so far. Uh, and specifically at the center position when talking about Matt Hennessy, he talked about how they had a bunch of guys competing for spots and, you know, to try to limit how much anybody could glean about him saying a positive thing about Matt Hennessy over some of the other guys. Right. He did the same thing with Marlon Davidson where it was like, oh, we like the progress that Marlon Davidson's shown coming back from injury, but the best players will play and nobody's going to be giving an opportunity just because of how highly they were drafted. So to not sort of, put Marlon Davidson on a pedestal because of his former second round draft status and the expectation that he will be a big part of the team's uh, defensive line rotation this year. And, and with Deion Jones, he's like, I'm pleased with how Deion Jones has handled the leadership position so far, but we have a bunch of guys that are leaders on this team. He was asked about Kyle Pitts and sort of whether or not he could draw up sort of innovative things in the offense for Kyle Pitts. And his response was, we have a lot of guys that can do multiple roles for us in the offense. So I'll be curious as we get along the summer, particularly in training camp, whether or not Arthur Smith is going to be a little less political, I guess you could say, with his answers. Are we going to be in a situation midway through training camp and someone's going to ask him about the competition for one of the starting spots and he's going to respond with, like, player X is getting the bulk of the first team reps and has done a solid job so far, but we have multiple guys that we think can enhance the competition and will be in the mix, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I'm not really complaining, although I'm probably complaining a little bit. You know, he's well within his rights to say nothing. Um, but just as a content producer, you know, just give me a little bit of something to go off of Arthur Smith. You know, that, that's my big beef. But, uh, you know, it seems like Arthur Smith is, is firmly a, a believer in the mindset of treating the media like mushrooms, which is keep them in the dark and, and feed them crap. So uh, we'll see if that changes over the coming weeks and or months as things develop here in Atlanta, or if we just get better at, you know, picking through the crap, so to speak, to, to figure out what Arthur Smith is actually saying uh, as we move forward. But uh, with that being said, that sort of wraps up the weekly wrap up portion of today's episode. And we'll move ahead into the Q and a portion of today's episode and talk about sort of which of the two interior offensive line spots, left guard or center is the bigger concern for the Falcons offensive line success moving forward. But before we get there, guys, I do have to plug the NBA side of the lockdown podcast network where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the Atlanta Hawks who are now advancing to the second round of the playoffs. Thanks to the incomparable and the illustrious Trey young and find out how the Hawks match up with their next opponent, which is the Philadelphia 76ers uh, from Brad Roland, the host of Locked on Hawks. Or if you're a fan of another NBA team, you can find a daily podcast devoted to that team and you can find them all on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So several months ago, I had to get my brakes fixed and a taillight replaced, and I wound up paying a lot more money than I wanted to. When I looked at the receipt, I wound up kicking myself because I knew I could have saved a lot of money had I just gone to rockauto.com. They have everything from engine parts, motor oil, new carpet, as well as the brake parts and tail lamps that I needed. I could have gotten everything I needed in a few easy clicks delivered directly to my door, and you can too because the rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts 
parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand specification or the price that you prefer. And those prices at rockauto.com, trust me, guys, are always reliably low. The same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. I certainly need to become more of a do-it-yourselfer if I want to save up to twice as much for the same parts. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. They give you the latest odds, info on all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and your all your UFC and MMA action. And there's no time like the month of June to get started at BetOnline. The NHL and NBA playoffs are ongoing. The French Open is ongoing. And you have the final leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes, this weekend. And, of course, baseball season is in full swing. And you can track all the action at BetOnline. And it's not just sports. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows and reality tv get real-time updated odds on props on almost anything you can imagine just head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag use the promo code locked on to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit that means if you deposit 500 you get 250 dollars in free money to play with using that promo code locked on for that 50 percent welcome bonus bet online your online sportsbook experts so our first question comes from Mantis Toboggan, MD at Sebastian's dad, 19. He asks, should we be more concerned about the question mark at the left guard position or the center position? And are there any free agent centers you wouldn't mind coming in to give Hennessy and Dolman competition? We don't want another 2015 incident. Um, I think we should be concerned at both spots, but I am actually less concerned at the center position because I, while I don't necessarily have the highest expectations on either Matt Hennessy or, or Drew Dolman, you know, in setting the world on fire as starters this year, I do think they're both definitely NFL caliber starters with room to grow. So I am somewhat more willing to go through those growing pains with those two guys, because I feel like it will pay off down the road. I am not as confident saying the same thing, the options at left guard where Josh Andrews is seemingly getting the bulk of the first team reps and and Jalen Mayfield, presumably the rookie third round pick is the guy that's likely to push him. If, someone is going to send Andrews to the bench. It'll likely be Mayfield. And, you know, I don't feel very good about either one of those guys being NFL caliber starters at this point in time. Um, So I think the positive that you have is that you don't have a huge bar to clear for the Falcons at both of those positions, you know, at center and left guard, you know, we, we, we didn't talk about it a lot during the season or after the season, because we respect Alex Mack as a player, as much as we do, but Alex Mack for large chunks of last year was not particularly good, especially in the second half of the season. And we know that James Carpenter was well below average starter. And so there's at least a potential if you're willing to be optimistic, I think the best case you can say is like, look, you'll make lateral moves at left guard and center from where you were last year. And you'll hopefully get improvement from the other three spots uh, from where you were last year. And that will lead to general success overall for the offense. But like, you know, Carpenter was the 52nd ranked guard in the NFL last year. So if you think Mayfield can be that, you know, like that's realistic. That's not crazy in my eyes that Mayfield could be the 52nd best guard in the league this year. Um, and then if you look at Alex Mack's pro football focus grades after week six, he was like the 24th best center in the NFL. And that's about where I kind of expect Hennessy and Dolman to be this year. So, you know, I think adding more competition, particularly at left guard wouldn't hurt. You know, you have, 
free agents like Joe Dahl, Senio Calamete, Nick Easton, Stefan Wisniewski, Michael Schofield, J.R. Sweezy, Joe Looney, Patrick Umame, you know, are guys that are currently available that have experience at left guard or right guard. Some of those guys like Calamete and Easton and Umame have connections with Terry Fontenot from spending some time in New Orleans. Joe Looney played in Tennessee uh, when Arthur Smith was there. Uh, and the other guys that I've mentioned are generally – uh, decent scheme fits in terms of the outside zone scheme and bring a lot more experience than either Andrews or Mayfield do at that left guard position. So we'll have to sort of see how the Falcons treat it. You know, I don't think they're going to be in any rush to fill that spot. Obviously they're going to need cap space in order to do so. Uh, and that will come either from a Grady Jarrett restructure or a Julio Jones trade, which at least as I'm recording this Thursday night on the first week of June does not appear to be imminent. And so this may be a situation where the Falcons take this well into August before we see them making a move. And in the past, I've used the 2015 uh, season as an example of the Falcons waiting. And we didn't see them feel compelled to make a move to address their offensive line concerns until after the third preseason game that summer when guys like James Stone and Ryan Schrader especially got exposed in that Miami game. And perhaps it's maybe serendipity. Some might see it or, you know, misfortune in other people's eyes that the Falcons second preseason game this summer is going to be against Miami, which presumably will now be the, the new dress rehearsal game as opposed to the third preseason game with one less preseason game. And so we'll sort of see if Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips are channeling Earl Mitchell and Derek Shelby and make the Falcons uh, expose some weaknesses on the Falcons offensive line and make the Falcons feel compelled to make a move. But ideally, obviously we don't want to see that happen. We don't want to find out in mid to late August that the Falcons offensive line is a glaring concern. Like we found out in 2015. So moving on to Greg Bowen at Greg legs question. He asked what position slash position group do you think might most surprise you, which has the chance to most disappoint? So I guess the answer to this question in terms of biggest surprise is what position or position group I have the lowest expectations for. You know, for me, you know, and I look at various positions that I have not particularly high expectations for, like running back, for example, like I'm not a huge fan of this running back group outside of Mike Davis. So unless Mike Davis runs for 1,200 yards this season or we have an RB2 in Quadri Olsen or Cordero Patterson or Javian Hawkins that runs for like 600 yards, that would certainly be a big surprise to me. A wide receiver without Julio Jones is kind of, you know, Calvin Ridley, and that's about it. You know, I like Russell Gage. I like Alameda Zacchaeus, but really as number three wide receivers, I'm not sure either one of those guys is suited to be a number two. And so you kind of need one of those guys to step up and, and put up production comparable to what Muhammad Sanu did in 2018 or Calvin Ridley did in, in, in 2018 in order to sort of live up to that. And if they did that, that would certainly surprise me to a certain extent. If Jalen Mayfield is actually good this year, that would surprise me on defense. If this defense gets 40 sacks this year, that would certainly surprise me. As for, you know, the group that would disappoint me, it's probably not a group, but it's just an individual player. Like given the high expectations that I think a lot of people are going to have for players like Calvin Ridley, Matt Ryan, and Kyle Pitts. Now, especially if we're living in a post Julio Jones world, and that probably also even pushes into Mike Davis's uh, lap as well. 
um, you know, those are the guys that I think have the farthest room to fall in terms of their expectations going into the season. So I'm not saying that any of those guys will disappoint, but certainly they have the most potential to disappoint because I think expectations are going to be very high for those guys. So our next question is from Jacob at Jay Beasley 117. He asks, what are your top three best uniforms of all time in the NFL, no matter the team? So number one, you well, I don't know if this is number one, but we'll, we'll go in no particular order. The first uniform that jumped to mind is what I will say. I won't say it's the best is the Raiders black and silver uniforms. It's iconic. It's, it's the Raiders, right? Um, number two is the chargers powder blues, right? Maybe that's probably the best. If I was actually ranking, that's why I, I had pause of, of not maybe putting the, the Raiders number one, but like the, the chargers powder blues, they're iconic. They're great. Everybody loves them. And then probably, I would go back to the baby blues of the Houston Oilers from the eighties and nine, or really prior to the nineties when they moved to Tennessee. Um, so like, those are probably the three that I'm like, those are the best. And and maybe it's the Oilers because we haven't seen them in so long. I don't think, I don't think the Titans have worn them since they moved to Tennessee. So it's like, I haven't seen anybody play a game with those uniforms on in like 25 years or 30 years or whatever it's been. And so like, I'm very nostalgic for those uniforms, even though probably at the time, I don't necessarily know if I thought those were the best uniforms at the time, but I, 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 I do recall liking them, but I don't, I don't really know, but yeah, I'm very nostalgic. Basically what I'm saying is I'm very nostalgic for those old Oilers uniforms. And I would love to see the Titans wear them. I would actually love to see the Texans wear them, but obviously they're not allowed to. Um, so we got one more question to wrap up today's episode uh, with our Friday mailbag, and we'll take a, a deeper look into this Falcons offense and how good it can be. And the question sort of frames it as, are we more likely to have a 2012 type of season on offense or a 2015 type of season on offense? And we'll go through it and, and break down which is the likelier of the two uh, as we move forward on today's Locked on Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, you know, we give love to the NBA playoffs, but we got to give love to the NHL playoffs because there is an NHL side of the Locked on Podcast Network where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NHL team. Find it or them on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So did you guys know that Built Bar has nine great flavors? Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. I'm a big fan of the coconut almond because it tastes just like an almond joy, but you could be a fan of the mint brownie, the cookies and cream, the double chocolate, the peanut butter brownie, the cherry barcia, salted caramel, coconut, or raspberry. There's a flavor for everyone. And you can try them all with a mixed box, getting two each of all nine flavors. Built Bars taste just like a candy bar, as I mentioned, because they all contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, but they're not just about the taste. Built Bars are healthy, too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. I like using them as low-calorie meal replacement for breakfast and lunch. You can use them for an energy boost pre- or post-workout. As you work your way back into that summer beach body, now that quarantine has been lifting, use Built Bars however you want. Just head over to the website at BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So Mantis Toboggan Sebastian Zed 19's last question is, are we closer to having a 2012 type season on offense or a 2015 type season on offense? This is a good question, Matthew. 
Um, you know, I feel like when we go back and we look at that 2012 offense, it, at least my memories of it, you know, they were very methodical, efficient offense, uh, very efficient. One of the top teams in, in terms of red zone efficiency, third down efficiency. They had that sort of three headed monster with Julio, Roddy White and Tony Gonzalez. Those guys, at least as a combined trio at that point, we were putting up sort of historic numbers, looking at metrics like expected points added that year in terms of combined trio. Like I recall talking about that trio in comparison to the Arizona trio of Steve Breston, Larry Fitzgerald, and Anquan Bolden in 08 that helped guide that team to the Super Bowl. And you even saw better results from the Falcons trio than that trio. Um, you know, but that 2012 offense was primarily a dink and dunk offense. They did take some measured shots down the field. They were very effective when they did take those shots down the field, mostly of those explosive plays coming from Julio and Roddy. And Tony was sort of settled into being one of the league. I think he was probably in terms of conversion rate was like the league's most efficient third down uh, chain mover in the league that year. You compare that. And contrast that with the 2015 offense that was also very efficient on third downs, but not so much in the red zone, thanks to some untimely turnovers and other factors. That was very much more of a one-headed monster when it came to the passing game, and that offense kind of lived and died by Julio Jones's health that year, and it was he was in and out of the lineup due to various injuries, arguably due to overuse that year, and that prompted the Falcons to do a better job managing his health that moving forward, which led to some of the factors that people for some reason are now starting to complain about, which is like, Oh, Julio takes plays off. And it's like, well, this is all part of, you don't want to have a repeat of 2015, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, and so that was a team that didn't really push the ball down the field at all, because basically outside of Julio, they didn't really have anybody else that you could push the ball downfield to. And because everything ran through Julio Jones, they needed him to be their sort of chain mover. They needed him to get it. They needed six yards on a first and 10. It was going to Julio and they needed him to be basically everything in their offense. In addition to being their primary vertical threat. And so you did not feature Julio as a vertical threat nearly as much as you could or should have. Um, They did have a decent running game, certainly more decent than the 2012 offense did for that first half of the season where there was like a stretch of like four to six games where Devontae Freeman, I think was leading the NFL in rushing. And that helped take some of the pressure off Julio sort of carrying the entire burden uh, all by himself. But once the running game sort of dried up midway through the season, you saw the offense kind of stagnate and really it became Julio sort of coming at the end of the season over the last like three weeks of the season to sort of save the day and, and get this team back to winning, uh, which is one of the contributing factors why they had that, like what seven game losing streak or whatever it was in the middle of that season. But, you know, I feel like this year's offense is probably going to borrow a little bit from both 2012 and 2015. Um, I think you have a risk similar to what you saw in 2015, where you might be putting a little too much on Calvin Ridley's plate, this year, like you did with Julio in 2015, where Calvin Ridley's going to have to be their primary vertical threat, their primary third down chain mover, and sort of you don't necessarily have a balance between those two things that you ideally want to do. Now, I think Kyle Pitts can certainly take uh, a lot of pressure off of him in terms of being more of a vertical threat and more of an explosive playmaker and be more of that one-two punch that you had with Roddy and Julio in 2012. But again, you know, he's a rookie tight end. 
And I don't know if you're going to be able to see him produce in terms of the explosiveness that you saw from either Roddy or Julio in 2012, as well as what you saw from Julio a year ago. Um, That would be a pretty tall order for a rookie tight end. And then outside of those two guys, you don't really have a a big time vertical threat in your offense. Sure, Olamide Zacchaeus and Frank Darby can add a little bit, but it's not, they're not going to add enough to really move the needle in any major way in in my eyes. Um, So, you know, I think in terms of third down efficiency, I I expect this offense to be one of the more efficient third down offenses as has been consistently the case during the Matt Ryan era. Cause I think that's more a reflection of Matt Ryan than necessarily the quality of the receivers. But we saw last year, Russell Gage really stepped up on third downs. You know, Ridley's always been very valuable in third downs. I expect Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst to be very efficient there on third down. So I, I think you will see a highly efficient third down offense. Um, similar to what you saw in both of those years in 2015 and 2012. Uh, You saw this with the the Titans. And, you know, what's interesting is particularly the 2020 Titans offense was much more probably a dink and dunk offense than probably a lot of people realize. You know, it leaned heavily on their running game to sort of supplement that dinking and dunking. And most of their explosive plays seemed to be heavily reliant on sort of those play action crossing routes and letting their wide receivers create after the catch to generate a large chunk of those explosive plays. And you certainly can do that with the Falcons current receivers, but obviously Julio Jones is like perfect for that. That's what we've seen. I Julio Jones make some like iconic plays and he's your most dangerous guy after the catch because of that ability to hit those intermediate crossers. So I think ultimately you'll see a mix of both 2012 and 2015. Right. I think in the games where you can get Kyle Pitts going right and be that sort of reliable number two threat to tag team with Calvin Ridley, you're going to look a lot closer to 2012 Um, in the games where you can't get him going. Then you're probably going to veer a little bit closer to 2015 and you're going to basically be relying pretty heavily on, on Calvin Ridley to sort of carry things. And that just may be a week to week thing, which is kind of what you saw in 2015, you know. Early in the season, that Falcons offense was actually pretty good and pretty dynamic. And then things sort of tailed off, as I explained earlier, uh, with injuries to Julio and the evaporation of the running game by the second half of the season. And so like that year in 2015, you had like six good weeks of offense and then like eight bad weeks of offense and like three weeks of good offense at the end of the season. I don't expect it to sort of be that type of roller coaster, but you may see that type of roller coaster where it's more like two weeks on two weeks off, four weeks on three weeks off or whatever the case may be. Right. And you know, a lot of that may depend on the matchup. It may be a week to week thing. What type of offense we're going to see you, you look at when we talk about sort of Kyle Pitts being the, the, the linchpin, the key Pete, the, 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 the keystone to this thing working. And you look at the defenses in terms of how they defend the def, uh, how, how they defend the tight end. You look at, there are five of the Falcons 17 games this year against defenses that were top 10, according to DVOA and defending tight ends last year, but they have seven games against defenses that were bottom 10. So, you know, you have some defenses that they might struggle against to, for Kyle Pitts to sort of have that big impact. And there may be defenses where they have a lot of success doing so. Um, and so again, I feel like it's going to be based on the matchup and sort of, you'll see a mix of 2012 and 2015 basically. And we'll get into this, get into the exact reasons at a later date. But for me personally, a lot of my optimism for this Falcon team and offense moving forward was wrapped around the idea of, of pairing a healthy Julio Jones with Arthur Smith in his scheme. 
And then when you remove Julio Jones from that equation, it's a lot harder for me to be as optimistic uh, moving forward. You know, I think you had a chance to be a special offense with Julio Jones this year. And with him gone, I still think you'll probably be one of the better offenses in the NFL, but instead of basically being like the third best offense in the NFL, you were talking about more likely to be like the 13th best offense in the NFL. And, and the large reason I think that is because I just don't know where you're going to get the explosive plays from. And without that, I just think the ceiling on this offense is considerably lower than where it was when you knew you were probably going to get like 20 to 25 explosive plays from Julio Jones. And if Kyle Pitts is good for a rookie, he's going to give you like half of that, right? Like that would be a good rookie season for Kyle Pitts, right? So you're losing a lot in that regard. And I don't, I don't feel like the, the rest of the Falcons, you know, roster is going to make up for that gap, right? That drop in production that you're potentially going to get. And so I think that does do some things for your offense that limit it in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I do wonder maybe it's a situation like we saw in 2016 when the Falcons were able to scoop up Taylor Gabriel over the summer before the season start. In addition to what we talked about early on today's episode about scooping up, maybe some offensive line help later this summer, you know, maybe the Falcons could scoop up another explosive wide receiver in, and no, I don't think Ty J sharp is, is that guy. Um, so I don't want to paint this portrait of, I think the sky is falling right without Julio Jones, but I think their margin for error considerably shrinks, right? I feel like more likely, maybe not your ceiling, but close to your ceiling is probably, what the Raiders were offensively last year, which is not a bad place to be. Um, you know, I think the Raiders certainly, if they didn't have a terrible defense, you know, could have wound up, you know, having a winning record and making the postseason. And I feel like th- there's still a chance for the Falcons to do that. But I felt like if you had Julio Jones, your ceiling was more likely to be what the Bills offense was. And it kind of didn't matter how good your defense was because you were going to score 500 points this year. And basically, as long as you didn't have a historically bad defense, you were going to be just fine. Like even if you had the 2014 Falcons defense with that type of offense, you're still going to win nine or 10 games this year uh, regardless. And so like, that's what I mean where your margin for error, your margin for error is shrinking. So that's something that we'll continue to talk about this summer in terms of what exactly you're losing when you lose Julio Jones and sort of how the Falcons will have to find ways to compensate for that. And I've mentioned in the past where, you know, I think a big thing that Arthur Smith leaned on in Tennessee by not having the super, super explosive offense was because he had Derrick Henry and he could just, you know, sort of sustain offense and, and keep the offense on schedule by handing the ball off to Derrick Henry and no offense to Mike Davis, but I just don't think he's going to be on that level. And so you do wonder if maybe the Falcons, that's why concerns on the offensive line and in a running game become a little bit more paramount because now you're going to have to lean a lot further on the running game to sort of uh, compensate for the loss of Julio Jones, because you're probably not going to be the super, super explosive offense. And you're going to probably have to be a little bit more dink and dunk, which yeah, you're going to need somebody to sort of be that sort of sustained sustainer on offense that can consistently get you, you know, four to six yards, whether it's a running game or in the passing game, like Tony Gonzalez did, or like Derrick Henry could do uh, to get that 2012 experience in my eyes. But uh, there you guys have it. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend and uh, you know, one way that you can enhance your ability to have a great weekend is by subscribing to the Locked On Today podcast, host Peter Bukowski has you covered for all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. You can subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So there you guys have it. Um, if you want to submit questions or feedback to me 
on anything I've talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, of course, you can submit them via Twitter at Locked on Falcons, via Facebook at Locked on Falcons, or you can send an email to Locked on Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. Till then.